As we move into the middle of summer, as we go towards what's going to be an interesting late part of the season, we thought it was time to get an update from our investment platform and talk now to Aaron Bright, who's with us with an update on what's been happening and portfolio positioning, because at this time of year, sometimes you get volumes down, people don't know which direction the markets are going to go. We're talking here now just ahead of the Jackson Hole Symposium, which might give a little bit of a different colour to the markets as we go into the early part of the autumn. Um, in terms of the portfolio positioning, what can you tell clients? Yes, thank you very much for having me, Jeremy. Um, we're positioned sort of in the midpoint of our of our equity weight, I'd say. So we could go a little bit lo uh, lower on our equity weighting, but we could also increase it more. We increased it marginally um, just because we felt that the correlations between bonds and equities had become negative again. And that was a big feature for 2022 is that there was this positive correlation between bonds and equities. We saw that come negative a bit. So we, we thought, OK, we can add a tiny bit towards our equity positioning side of things. Within the fixed income bucket, we've added a touch of duration just because we've seen around 400 basis points of rate hikes, actually 500 basis points of rate hikes. And we feel that we're near the peak of the rate hikes. We don't know for exact certainty when you know, rates are stopped going to be, when they're, when they're basically going to start um, cutting or when rates are going to, you know, essentially um, peak. But we feel that we're sort of near, near that peak. So we felt now's a good opportunity to um, add a little bit of duration. So when rates do eventually come down, we can get a capital gain on those sort of long duration bonds in, in the portfolio. As I said, we're talking before the Jackson Hole Symposium, which going to give us some more colour, I think, in terms of how rates are, are moving. And as you said, I mean, the expectation is perhaps maybe we are at or very close to peak. But I think thereafter, the markets are now beginning to realise that rates are going to stay high for longer. How does that change things? It changes things a lot. I mean, um, the Jackson Hole Symposium last year was, was I mean, people remember there was a bit of a bloodbath in equity and yeah. bond markets after. Uh, Jerome Powell said we, we haven't seen any substantial disinflation. We're in that higher for longer rhetoric. So it, it could, yeah, definitely be a potential for more uh, more volatility in both equities and fixed income. So with that being said, even though we've added a touch of duration, we still um, have positions across the whole yield curve within that one to three range where the yield curve is still inverted. We're still getting nice attractive yields in that shorter end of the yield curve and less interest rate sensitivity. So we are positioned to be in a situation where we're not too interest rate sensitive, but we've got a little bit of interest rate sensitivity. So we are aware that this high for longer uh, rhetoric could be painful for asset classes. And of course, really, we're talking here about the US, the Eurozone, the UK and some other central banks in the developed world. But you look at Japan and there's no hint yet that the new regime uh, under the new recently appointed governor is going to change their easy monetary policy. What about the Japanese allocation in the IG portfolio mix? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. With that being said, we, we have actually increased our Japanese equity for, for a number of reasons. I mean, on sort of a, first, we can we can look at their valuations. I mean, they've been trading at, at very attractive valuations for, for a number of years. And it's very easy to say, well, we did it purely on valuation grounds. And, and that did play a role. Um, it does trade at around two-thirds of the price to book of, of the S&P 500 and, and US equities. So that did play a role. There's also some really nice other factors that have played a role in that. We like the fact that the yen has, has appreciated and it should be a big boost for Japanese exporters and be really helpful for their margins. Um, and, and we also like that there is actually a little bit of inflation in Japan. It's not this sort of 8 to 10% inflation that we've been experiencing in the UK over the past year or so. 
but it is that sort of 3 to 4% inflation which should encourage a degree of consumption and encourage a little bit of economic growth. Of course, we don't want inflation to creep up. We don't want to be in a, a, a situation where we've got 8 to 10% inflation. We see the Bank of Japan go crazy with rate hikes and all sorts of things like that. But we, we think this, the narrative for Japan is quite growth-centric at the moment, so that's why we've increased our allocation to the region. Just, I've just shown the Nikkei. Uh, let me go back to that because I think it's important just to show where we are in terms of some of the moves that we've seen. Since the beginning of the year to the highs that we saw, was that 16th of June, up a whopping 32%. Yeah. That seems like quite a nice move already. So we're anticipating further up side from even from these levels. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at sort of where the Nikkei is, it, it does seem expensive if you look at purely the figures. But if you actually sort of go under the bonnet and look at the fundamentals, Japan is still attractively priced. Mm. Let's go back to the interest rate picture here in the UK. Um, inflation uh, remains sticky. We use that word a lot, actually. At the moment, we've spoken about rates higher for longer. Uh, what's your take on this and this economy particularly? And how should we be positioned, bearing in mind what's going on? Yeah, UK inflation has been very, very sticky. I mean, we had that reading last month where inflation did come down quite substantially. But what I sort of looked at quite extensively was core inflation. And that remained um, sort of, that was basically the core driver of disinflation. We saw, uh, we saw service inflation um, being really... Um, uh, I might need to redo that. Okay, that's, Sorry, that's, yeah. no, that's, no, that's no problem. Um, what to explain core, I think, just by saying without food and fuel. Yeah, yeah, I think I got right. that mixed up. Let's, should we um, just, to, we'll, we'll cut it from the end of my question, okay, but we'll pick up from, from your own if that's okay. So we're talking about the UK and yeah, yeah. Um, what, what's the portfolio looking like in regard to the UK? So in terms of our UK positioning, we are not too keen on sort of adding um, index linked gilts, even though that they are quite useful for inflation protection over the longer term. If you hold an index link guilt, your coupon and principal is adjusted to inflation. So you do get this uh, inflation beating return. But because of the long duration of an index link guilt index, we felt that if interest rates surprisingly upside in the UK, we could get a degree of capital loss in inflation linked securities, inflation linked guilts. So we've decided to trim that allocation. We haven't been particularly big on that allocation, but we saw some really, really big moves in the inflation linked guilt picture. Um, last year, we saw quite a big sell off around the mini budget and when rates were coming up in the UK. But we've also seen inflation being driven in the UK really, uh, it's really sticky from that service side of things. So the services are, have been really key to driving inflation. So the Bank of England does have a little bit of a headache. It must raise rates higher to sort of combat this inflation. And we've also got some particularly high, uh, high wage increases, which are also certainly going to be adding to a little bit of inflation in the UK. So the Bank of England does have a headache, as I said. It needs to get inflation under control. And unfortunately, the only tool it really has is, is to raise rates. Yeah. We've got to talk about emerging markets. Uh, I think when we were talking six or eight months ago, everybody was salivating the chances of getting their teeth into some opportunities in China. When China started uh, coming out of lockdown, it happened. But China's fizzled. Yeah. What's going on in the emerging market play at the moment? Yeah, yeah. So as I was just sort of discussing earlier with, with my team, we were very interested in that Chinese picture, really thought it'd be great towards the beginning of the year and began to allocate a little bit more to China. But we didn't do it in such big capacity. We allocated a bit more to emerging markets through the MSCI Emerging Market Index. Um, but the data has just been so poor. We've got actually 
bout of deflation in China. We've got a situation where youth unemployment's high, really high. Uh, they've actually stopped reporting on the data. It's got so high in China. Um, and we're seeing exports down year on year. So if I take the July data print, for example, US exports year on year from July last year to this year were down 20%. The only uh, uh, country which had positive export growth, uh, Chinese exports growth, was Russia. As a matter of fact, that was up 80%. But we've, we've seen pretty much across the board exports fall. And we know how reliant China is on exports for its growth. Um, so for that being said, we decided to trim our allocation. We've also seen a huge debt problem in China. So we've got huge property development companies unable to meet their uh, fixed income uh, coupon payments. So we're a little bit concerned. We think that sort of for a strategic um, allocation, we think it's it's sensible to, to cut. Um, the long-term growth picture should be okay. Um, we, we think that there is a nice growth pattern within the region, but this data and what we're seeing at the moment isn't, isn't particularly positive. So we've decided to trim that and, and deploy it in Japan. Okay. Let me bring up uh, another chart. This is the um, iShares MSCI Emerging Markets ETF, which you can get on the um, IG platform. I want to show this in the context of a slightly longer picture. We were talking about Japan up 30% so far this year. That was at multi-decade highs. This, 29% up from the October low, sorry, November lows uh, to the highs in January. There's, thereafter, it's been travelling sideways. But that 29% is seen in the context of the big declines that we've seen from the highs on this chart, at least going back to February 2021. Um, explain more about where you think this is going to go from here. What, what's, the, what's the main play, well, directional uh, play? As I said, even though that China does typically trade a little bit of a discount and is relatively cheap if we compare it to how much um, how sort of expensive the US is in in relative terms um, we're just concerned about that uh, macro noise going on in China that's our big concern so it could lead to more of a sell-off within the region so that's why we've decided it's sensible to remain tactically a little bit underweight the region we've still got a nice allocation in the region because as part of the process for managing multi-asset portfolios we need to be very diverse in our allocation. And if we decided to take out all of our emerging market exposure and the macro situation in China mm. reversed, mm. we'd be very, very severely punished compared to our competitors. So we do think that long-term picture is nice, but we are being very cautious with the, the emerging market region yeah. and particularly the Asia-Pacific. Let's steer the conversation into the latter part of this year as we, we go back and hopefully volumes start to pick up and we get a bit of volatility and we can actually, as traders and investors, get an opportunity here to, to, to look at a, a worthwhile investment opportunity. What's your thought on where we go, where the likely um, candidates are going to be? So we're still a little bit concerned about recessions and downturn fears and that really has played a significant part in our in our tactical positioning for our portfolios we not we're not going overweight equity as i said we're sort of mid to low mid point of our equity range we're avoiding higher yielding areas of credit because we don't think spreads are wide enough to be buying higher yielding debt when we can get really high quality investment grade credit um, which is yielding really nice attractive levels so we're a little bit concerned about that recession side of things and that could hamper equity valuations. It could cause yields to spike if there's concerns about interest rates staying higher for longer. And we're also a bit concerned about corporate earnings. We haven't had a bloodbath in earnings season. I think the past year we've been thinking this one's going to be a bloodbath. Well, surely it's got to be the next one. And it hasn't happened yet. But we think with 500 basis points of rate hikes, something does have to give. And uh, I was listening to a US economist this week who said um, there's lots of straws on the camel's back, which is the US economy. Surely one is going to cause it to, to collapse at some point. So we are concerned about a recession. We're concerned about earnings falling down. So that's why we're remaining a little bit uh, cautious. Interesting. OK, Aaron, we'll leave it there. Thanks uh, for joining us with an update uh, from the IG investment platform. It's Aaron Bright uh, from the Portfolio Management Team.